You're listening to the Chancellor Pink Podcast on Chancellor Pink Radio. I had two quick new thoughts I wanted to share with a new podcast on the pandemic, which is, of course, the only subject any of us are really allowed to think about right now, because if we try to drift off, actually, wait, wait, I'm going to, I'm going to shift off. I'm going to end this. Let's, here's a great, created a new language. Hang on in here. Hang with me, won't you, through a couple pandemic thoughts for the end of this podcast, where I'm going to suggest you a new filmmaker whose movies you must see immediately if you haven't yet. So if you're sitting at home and you're cooped up in your place, and I think you probably are if you're in the world, then (laughs) you might be listening to this in space. But if you're on planet Earth, you're probably sitting at home most of your days probably getting a little restless. And if you have Amazon Prime, you may not have that, so that could be a problem. But if you have Amazon Prime, I want to suggest to you seven hours that you can watch of three movies that you'll enjoy if you're okay with violence. If you don't hate violence and violence is just horrible. Now, that's kind of cartoonish violence. It's kind of, you know, I'm not, it's not real. So, so you gotta, it's nothing really that disturbing. Okay, it's pretty, pretty disturbing. Anyway, hold that thought and let me talk real quick about a couple pandemic things. And let me suggest at the end three movies you need to watch right away and spend seven hours of your life on during this pandemic of a new filmmaker that you may or may not know. Okay, so thought number one is my prior podcast where I talked about wanting to get down to zero in our county. Got some guidance on that today. The Trump administration's guidelines for reopening, which no doubt were written or suggested at least in part by doctors Burks and Fauci. Fauci never speaks anymore, so I'm forgetting his name. Luckily, people are reminding us that he still exists, but they just silenced him. They have the Republican broad up there talking. So here, I'm sorry, women. I'm sorry to call her abroad, but I just she irks me. She just makes my skin crawl. She's so Republican. Anyway, just mannered and too. Anyway, uh, in their guidelines, they need to see this is their recommendation to the states. This is important. A two week downward trajectory of new cases. So that and the WHO, the World Health Organization, they set forth five or six, I forget which factors that need to be be met before any area should reopen. The number one factor was that the virus is under control. And that's all they say, and they don't really define that. And so we go back to my podcast. My version of uncontrolled, I mean under control, in my county is seven weeks of zero cases. That's what I want to see. We got this far. Can, can we get there or can't we? I don't know. Like I said, what's the science tell us? What's blah, blah, blah. Go back and listen to my last podcast. <clears throat> if you didn't, the who just says under control. So they agree. That's the number one. That's the number one uh, factor. Now you can go to New Zealand and their leader just opened up. I forget her name. I'm sorry. She, she 
well, she's going to start an opening up process, and she did a brilliant job of actually citing facts, just like what I was talking about in my prior podcast, numbers. Her number one number is, I think they call it the RO factor. I might be wrong on that, but it's basically the factor of how contagious the virus is. Uh, and this one, for example, was between two to three. For every one person that gets it, they pass it on to two and three. And um, you don't even want to think about reopening until that's below one. You don't want any more than a one-to-one. So in New Zealand, they got theirs down to 0.48%. And she had a wonderfully prepared statement that she read. You know, unlike Trump reads his statements and they sound like gibberish, they sound like someone wrote it on the toilet on toilet paper. Um, And and I'd like to see his, whatever he's reading from. Is it toilet paper actually taped down to, to that podium? I think it might be. But... Uh, So she talks about numbers to New Zealand, including 0.48, which is a really was a significant drop for them in the contagious nature of it. She talked about per capita testing, how many tests per 100,000 people in an area. Again, we're only testing in the United States right right now, you know, one percent of the population. And that's what we're that's what we've done in my county. We've done exactly. I did the math. One percent. It's not good enough. To reopen. But like I said in my prior one, the focus on the testing is misplaced in the sense that testing, testing. Well, that's about reopening. But of course, of course, you should be testing anyone who's sick, right? No, they're not even doing that. They have probable cases. So the first focus on the testing should be make sure anybody who's sick gets a test to confirm the virus. Or at least, okay, fine, call it a probable case, include it in the total. But my God, we don't have enough tests to test everyone's sick. That's number one. Don't even, Let's not even talk about all the ex- excess testing that we're going to need to open things up. Anyway, she talked about how much they're testing. They're testing so much. I forget what the percentage was. But again, numbers. She presented the numbers. She didn't make it up. She didn't say, oh, we're doing all kinds of testing. we got all the testing. I'm shitting out tests, like Trump says. She actually told them the numbers. And she had many more numbers. She presented facts and figures which showed true progress and control of the virus, having it under control. And that's why she was beginning to reopen. It made perfect sense. No one else is talking enough, specifically enough, about numbers. Yet they're talking about reopening. Even the WHO says, get it under control. What are the numbers? So Trump's uh, council <laughs> has their guidelines, the federal guidelines, and they said they, they actually gave some guidance here. I give them credit. But, of course, it's Fauci in that. You know, it's not Trump. But, I mean, so the scientists actually had some input here. And they said a two, 14-day period of a downward trajectory of new cases. Now, the issue I have still, of course, with that is, is that statewide? Is that countywide? Are we going to open up all the counties in a state? Because Burks, even though they say that, and this is guidance to the states, they also talk about ta- tailoring it to areas. And well, what areas? Are we going to draw county lines? Are we going to draw like one third of a state, a middle third? You know, because obviously numbers change based on regions, right? For example, Pennsylvania has there a larger number of cases on the whole, and they have the fourth most in the country. And so showing a down, a steady downward trajectory of new cases over 14 days, it's going to be easier to show that if you're talking about tons of cases. 
But when you make it smaller, the number, and you look at, say, Allegheny County, my county, and the cases are already sometimes down to today we had 17. Yesterday we had seven. We're already low. We're not having a downward trajectory. I checked the numbers in my county. They were 35 new cases a week ago, April, 20, uh, April 14th. A week later, they're 17. It's mostly a trajectory downward. But yesterday there were seven. My question is, if you're in a so when you're in a smaller number area, maybe it'll never get below around ten. Maybe it'll go to five, then it'll bounce up to ten, then it'll be fifteen, then it'll be twenty. The question is, can you show a steady downward trajectory when you're in a small enough area so the numbers may never get to zero? Scientists have nothing to say there. They say 14 days downward trajectory, but that is only relevant if you're looking at tons of numbers. If you look at the whole state, I'm sure you'll see Pennsylvania going downward in the last week as a whole. I guarantee it. And so in another week, the state as a whole will show two weeks of downward trajectory, guaranteed. But Allegheny County, where I live, they won't. They've already jumped up 10 cases from yesterday to today. Are we in the movie The Master? Did you ever see that movie where Philip Seymour Hoffman's talking to uh, Joaquin Phoenix and he's saying, stare me in the eyes, don't blink, you can't blink. Answer these questions. Do you ever have sex with your aunt? Do you ever do this? What did you do that? He's asking him all these questions and, and, and Phoenix keeps blinking. And he's like, oh, and he's slapping his face. And he says, don't blink, start over, start over. Every time he blinks, he has to start over. Well, is 17 cases today a blink? Do we in Allegheny County start over on our 14-day count? Or is it all relative once you get under 20? Once you get under 20 new cases a day, do you, can you bounce all over the place? Down to 5, up to 18, down to 7, up to 13, up, up to 19, up to 20, up to 19, back down to... Is that a downward trajectory? No. So when you get to small numbers... You're not going to see a downward tra trajectory unless you actually can get to zero or below five. Can we get there? I don't know. We'll find out. Do we have 14 days in a row that we have to do that? Are they going to let us? Or is the governor of Pennsylvania going to say, we have a downward trajectory here over 14 days. Let's open the state. Maybe. So Allegheny County opens up with our up and down between 20 cases. And guess what? Phew! We shoot up and suddenly we become the new Philadelphia. Who knows? Who knows? The point is our cases have been good here because we've been listening to the stay-at-home order. We don't have as many people, so the percentage of people who violate it are smaller. And the whole state, he included us early on before we got cases here. The governor threw us into the – when they started getting them out east – he threw us in right, right away when we only had like four cases confirmed. So that's why we're so good. But if he then sends us back along with Philadelphia once they've controlled it in their area, maybe we'll blow up over here. So my question is this 14-day downward trajectory way of saying, you know, you've got the cases under control. It very much depends on what area you're looking at, how big of an area. And if it doesn't, then we could be in trouble with that kind of generic uh, widespread rule. So anyway, that's number one.
That's what I got as my answer of, can we get to zero cases? The answer is no. It's enough to just have 14 days of downward. Even if maybe the lowest case is still, what, 50? What, for a state, maybe 150, 200 a day? But hey, it's been two weeks downward. Two weeks downward, so even though you still have 200 cases a day, let's get out there. I don't know. Okay, that's issue number one in the pandemic. Issue number two I wanted to address briefly is I saw somebody, we had these protesters here in Pittsburgh yesterday, go down to our federal, in front of our federal, our local government buildings, our city county building, and and they protested. And of course, they wrapped up their faces, even though they don't believe in the virus. They think it's a lie. They think the government's lying. They don't think it's really deadly. They're not afraid of it. So they wrapped up their faces anyway. And even one clown had on a George Washington Halloween mask that he then painted and made even more creepy. And he had like on this little American flag cutoff jacket and he had an automatic weapon. And there were all these other guys dressed like SWAT troopers with their fucking automatic weapons. And there were some women down there in jeans with automatic weapons and others with their little kids and their young kids and... They didn't have masks on, and they had their Trump hats on and all this shit. So it was basically a pro-automatic weapon uh, protest. I saw that the local city paper here estimated it was only 120 people. But we're giving them all this press anyway. Why? Because they're terrorists. They're terrifying. It's scary as fuck. It looks like the purge (laughs) in the streets of Pittsburgh. Even though it's 120 people, what's going on here? Nobody walk. You're, you don't have an open carry rule in Pittsburgh. You're not allowed to walk around with, it, with an automatic weapon. Why did they let these protesters stand there with automatic weapons strapped around their shoulders? They should have been arrested. I think the police were afraid. You're not allowed to do that here. But hey, it's their God-given right. And that's what some clown said on Instagram. How can you compare them to terrorists? That's an insult to terrorists, which makes no logical sense. But, you know, are you surprised? I'm not. But he said, they're just exercising their God-given right. And what does any of this have to do with Trump anyway? What is this Trump stuff? In other words, don't bash Trump because these people are out there. They're just protesting. Don't bring Trump into this. (laughs) Well, they had Trump hats on. And more importantly, Trump brought Trump into this with his tweets about, you know, liberate Virginia and liberate, you know, he's liberating states from the virus, liberate from science. (laughs) I mean, at the end of the day, here's what is happening, obviously. Trump believes in the virus. He knows it's real, but he knows he'll be safe. And He knows that the economy is important to his future when he's done being a president and his money is important to him and to his family. And he knows that the economy is important to his reelection and to his legacy, which is all he cares about. He's an egomaniac. And he knows that any counter theory benefits him because he failed here. He failed in a major way. The United States now has over 800,000 cases, far and away the world leader in this virus, and over 44,000 deaths. We're kicking ass. 
on this virus. We are the winner, hands down. It's a slam dunk. We're the New England Patriots of pandemics. So Trump failed, and he knows it, and he keeps trying to spin, 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 and tread water. And we got this election coming up in November. So he's thinking... I have these really dumb supporters, and that's okay. They're dumb because I'm really dumb too, but they're even dumber than me, and I know they're dumb, and I don't really care if they get sick and die because there's enough of them out there to vote in November, and maybe they won't die until November. Maybe it's maybe. So he's saying to them, let them create false, paranoid, delusional concepts of reality and go out there and protest about it. Why? Because. It looks like his supporters are fighting back against the Democrats. The Democrats are the ones who closed down the, the world. I mean, don't never even mind that it's not the United States. It's the whole fucking world that's shut down here. But to Trump, it's, to Trump, it's still Democrats versus Republicans. That's all this pandemic is. It's just Democrats versus Republicans. So if he can get a bunch of morons out there carrying their weapons, he can stir up. That, yeah, shoot your guns, keep your, they're coming for your guns, grab your guns. He can stir up that crazy element in his followers that he knows is there. He stirs it up every time he speaks to in his rallies. You know, he can sort of try to, you know, keep it on a low brow at his press conferences, try not to overstate his crazy, wacky ideas there. But then he gets on Twitter and he fires them all up. He gets them all coming out. They put it on the news. And guess what? Suddenly, more people think, yeah, Trump isn't an asshole. Wait a minute. I've been watching him thinking, what a scumbag, what a loser, what an asshole. I voted for this fuckhead. He's, he's, he's destroying our lives with this virus. Suddenly, he plants the seed of a paranoid theory that the virus isn't real, that, our, that it's the Democrats. They're lying to us, and they're trying to use it to terrorize us and take away our weapons. you got idiots like Mark Madden here in the sports media talking about how it's the Democrats using it as a fear tactic. Meanwhile, the scientists... The scientists, including the dean of public health at Ohio State University, they make it very clear this is the way it works with pandemics and health problems. As you see, once they start to get it under control, everybody starts to think it never existed in the first place. It was never real. It's fine now. It was all a lie. It's, it's the human instinct to kick back at the system and pretend like it's just – we were being repressed. It was all bullshit, especially if you've been somewhat successful, which we haven't. We haven't been. We have 800,000 cases, 44,000 deaths. We've hardly been successful. But once the numbers start to come down and people say, well, is that it? Where's the mushroom cloud? Where are the zombies walking the streets? How come my arm didn't fall off? Where's my, you know, if they didn't have anyone who died to them, it's nothing. See, they look around and go, oh, this was it. What a bunch of bullshit. Meanwhile, other people are mourning their family members who died and they couldn't even see them in the hospital. They couldn't even have a funeral. They have to wait until after the pandemic to have a funeral. They had to stay spaced around and drive and have a fake ceremony with the body buried in temporary graves because they can't put it in the actual site yet. This is other people's lives. They've lost husbands and wives and grandparents and fathers and mothers and teachers and and healthcare professionals you know and, and people working in homes and 
people working in food stores. These are people that are dying. And there's there's over 44,000 of them currently, and that number is just going to keep growing, especially if we open back up. Yet if it didn't happen to you and you see that things are calming down a little, you go, it ain't nothing. It was all a bunch of liars. That's all. They're all them liars out there. Give me my assault rifle and that mask over there. I'm going downtown. I'm going to I'm gonna stand around for a little bit and say, Trump, Trump, fuck this shit. They're liars. It's just the government all anti-democrats stuff. So that's what Trump's doing. He's stirring them up to create this imagery and this idea of a counter theory. Even though he knows the virus is real, hey, the idea that the virus was manufactured in a lab in China, which, you know, uh, people just jump all over and they love to run to some with that one. Meanwhile, government officials, if you actually read, they say, well, that's one thing we're investigating, but we don't believe that. They don't believe that it was manufactured. They believe it might have been studying viruses in a lab in China and then it got out. But that's just one of many, like 20 theories that they have an obligation to investigate. The still most likely theory is the one that we first heard about, which is it came out of the wet markets in China. So, you know, but they're just investigating. But no, what, what, what? Oh, out of lab, a lab in China. Those bastards, they set it free because they want to hurt their own economy and then ours too. Because they want to, I mean, there's still logic to it. There's no logic to it, but never, you know, that never stopped a Trump supporter from from believing an idea. So I, anyway, the point is that who, why, what does Trump have to do with these rallies? A, he, he instigated them. And why? Because any crazy, stupid idea that goes against science here and truth helps him because he fucked up. So distracting us by thinking that he didn't fuck up because it was a terroristic, you know, weapon of war released on our country or that it's because of immigration. Let's shut down immigration because they're bringing it into our country or it was China or it was the World Health Organization. Yeah, that's who it was because they were taking all our money and using it to help other countries and not even doing their job and they fucked up and on and on or it's the Democrats and the governors that are Democrats banning against me and blah 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 blah. So or you know, hey, it's about assault weapons. They're trying it's the Democrats trying to use this virus, overstate it, overstate the fear of it. It's not that bad. They want to take your weapons away. It's all about that. Whatever kind of theory he can create. Ted Cruz will believe it. Anyone else who's stupid, Mark Rubio, all these dumbass people, they'll push it. You know, all he has to do is throw it out there. One of his idiot Republicans will push it and all of his idiot voters will support it. Anyway, that's enough of the pandemic. Fuck the pandemic. It's it's controlling our lives. <laughs> and as a parting, a gift to you, uh, I want to re- I want to recommend a filmmaker you may have already heard about, and this may not be new news to you, but uh, his name is S. Craig Zoller, but all his friends and everybody, he likes to just be called Zoller by his girlfriend, by everyone who knows him. Zoller. Z-A-H-L-E-R, Zoller. Uh, he was born in Miami, Florida uh, in 1973. So he's currently, uh, what is that, 47 January is 73, so he's a 47-year-old dude. Um, and he's made three uh, major movies. I have no idea how he got to make as his first real film a movie that's happened to star. He wrote and directed it, and he got Kurt Russell, Patrick Wilson, 
Matthew Fox, Richard Jenkins, uh, David Arquette to be in it. Uh, Sid Haig, you know, the bald-headed, creepy guy from from the uh, the uh, Rob Zombie movies uh, who just died recently. Uh, another, he even, you know, has a cameo, a very small one seen by Sean Young. Remember her from the 80s? Uh, Boy, she looks like hell now. Remember when she was being a psycho back then and stalking people and everyone was afraid of her because she would like sleep with her co-stars and then terrorize them and stuff. Same with Mimi Driver. I remember those two actresses were famous for being like Play Misty for Me slash uh, Fatal Attraction type women in, in Hollywood. But um, this is a movie about, it's a Western. So I'm not a Western fan. This is my least favorite of his. I gave it a 7.3, 7. 7.3. 7. But it's over two hours, two hours, 12 minutes. His movies are all long. Um, it's a Western. Some people are kidnapped from a town and they're being held hostage by, here's the, wait for it, <laughs> uh, Indians, okay, but they are a different kind of Indian. They are cave-dwelling cannibals, yes. So we have... Kurt Russell as the older sheriff of the town go off with Patrick Wilson and a couple other guys, including Richard Jenkins, to try to retrieve some people from these cave-dwelling cannibals. Very violent, but also slow, languidly paced. I would say that Zoller's number one trait, he's, he's very much like Tarantino, okay? I wouldn't call him a poor man's Tarantino by any stretch, Um he doesn't. He he does the music kind of similar. He he likes to use um, African American artists that have kind of a soul, seventy uh, soul sound songs that he uses. But he also uses other music. He's originally written the the song that uh, Bone Tomahawk ends with is a song that he co-wrote, and it's an original song, and it's very weird. But. <laughs> Very much like an Indian sounding song, but also the lyrics are strange. But anyway, he is um, into dialogue, but his dialogue's not as good as Tarantino's. But I also think Tarantino's dialogue can be a little overrated because he gets a little caught up in it sometimes. And I'm like, come on, let's move it along. Now, here, there's only a little bit of that. But you might you might have to say, hey, let's move it along every once in a while when you're watching his movies, just in terms of the pacing. It's not so much the dialogue, but he likes to sort of uh, – he likes character development. So he'll go and do a shot and a scene that you're wondering what's the point of this. But it's so you get to know the characters. And he'll, he likes a lot of characters, so he'll show you – a number of scenes of different people and moments in their life that might not seem to have any relevance to the movie you thought you were going to watch. And they might not. But then as the movie progresses and you get, boom, explosive violence and scenes that are quite shocking with violence, you care about the people because you saw these other scenes. It's very much a 19... See, Quentin Tarantino, to me... I never th- think of his films as 1970s style. I don't think he's anything like the great filmmakers of the 70s, which to me remains the greatest era of cinema. You know, he's nothing like the uh, Martin Scorsese's and, uh, you know, Stanley uh, Kubrick's and, and uh, you know, Sidney Pollock's and uh, uh, Robert Altman. 
you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm not, they're not all coming to me as, oh, 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 uh, Sidney Lumet. Now, he, he was around before the 70s, but his films of the 70s are fantastic. I wouldn't say Tar- Tarantino to me is nothing like any of those directors. He's a lot more um, uh, smart-assy with his dialogue, uh, overly witty, um, and also his violence is way more... Um, exploitation type drive-in cinema style and um, whereas Zoller I think way less you know much chiller uh, much more laid back and realistic much more I would say Scorsese-esque with in his 70s films with the way people talk but he has the explosive violence of Tarantino and he combines it with kind of a caper-esque. He likes to, he likes to pick exploitation-type subjects, like even his Western, right? He opens up with a Western. Um, but he does it with the creepy and like sort of a horror touch with the cannibalistic uh, cave-dwelling Indians. So um, he likes to mix genres a little bit, but he likes in the end it to be about sort of like you follow real people that he draws you into and then you see them engage in violence. And there's a lot of uh, moral conflict in his characters. There's a lot of right versus wrong in his characters. There are issues and choices they make at various times about is this right, is this wrong? And a lot of his characters believe in right and they try to do right even as they engage in violent lifestyles. So that's interesting and that's very Scorsese-like too, obviously. Scorsese's movies often follow mobsters and people and yet he talks about their religious upbringing and their belief in God and, and so on and so forth. Their belief in family so he recognizes Scorsese always did and so does Zoller that people that might otherwise do bad things even violent things even criminal things still inside themselves can have some moral framework and try to do good and try to be right it's an interesting concept so um, I don't think he's anywhere near as good as Scorsese but he's very good and I think he may be as good as Tarantino I like Tarantino but I never loved Tarantino the only movie of Tarantino's I've ever loved is Pulp Fiction. Um, but I liked, I, I liked his last one, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, very much. But, so I think you ought to check out uh, S. Craig Zoller. Bone Tomahawk was done in 2015. He followed that up in 2017 with my favorite movie of his, Brawl in Cell Block 99. I give that a 9 on... Uh, IMDB because you can't give 8.5. I think I'd actually give it an 8.5, but Vince Vaughn is the lead in that. Not one of my favorite actors by any stretch, especially since you saw him in the box at that the sporting event. What was it? The Super Bowl, I think, maybe, talking with Donald Trump. And I read about him, and he's had some conservative political things he spewed over the years. And so I'm not a fan of Vince Vaughn. I was never a fan of his comedy. But I'll tell you what, he's, he's quite good in this one. Uh, as the lead and uh, effective as like a Bruce Willis type from Die Hard, only more more uh, lethal and criminal. And um, he gets thrown into prison and violence ensues. And um, then the final film, which is the one he just did, uh, that one is from uh, 2018, 2018. Dragged Across Concrete. Vince Vaughn is in that one as well as a sidekick, uh, side 
sidekick cop. He's fine in that. He's not particularly spectacular, but his main partner is Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson's very good in that. And it's interesting, too. Another disreputable guy because of his comments about Jewish people. So Zoller seems to like to bring in people with some controversial pasts. Uh, he likes to use similar cast members. One actress he has used in his last two films, Jennifer Carpenter, uh, not super well-known, but pretty well-known. And he gives her these smallish roles in his last two films. Um, he's used uh, Udo Kier. You may know him, uh, German actor. I believe he's German. I think, let me just check real quick here. Yes, he's from Germany and he's uh, known somewhat. One, one of his most famous movies was uh, the Warner Herzog movie. What was that called? Uh, anyway, he's been in a number of famous German films, Udo Kier. Also, he uses Don Johnson, you know, from Miami Vice, father of, uh, you know, Melanie, Melanie Griffiths, ex-husband who together they sired that girl. Oh, shit. What's her name? From Fifty Shades of Grey, that actress. That's his daughter. Um, Don Johnson is in both um, the uh, cell block a brawl in cell block 99 he's the shitty cruel ass warden of uh the tough prison in that one and then he's also a um has a real small one scene actually just one scene as the chief of police and dragged across concrete but so there are a number of people he likes to repeat uh in his movies he uses this weird character actor fred Malamed. Fred Malamed is in all three of his movies. He has a tiny little scene in each of them, and he's like a a local New York City actor who, to, to my money, he overacts. But he's been around for years, and he's kind of like this overweight guy that uh, that has some sort of reputation for being like a really good actor or something. But he's interesting. He uses him in small roles in every one of his movies. So, again, he has quirky things like that. Zoller that he does uh, his movies are long uh, the first two are each two hours and 12 minutes that's that's brawl and cell block 99 and, and tomahawk chop no tom bone tomahawk and uh, the last one dragged across cross concrete is actually two hours and 39 minutes and people complained about it like it was boring and it was long and all that but it, look if you don't like the 1970 the great films of the 70s then don't watch his movies because i'm telling you that that's what it's like they're languidly paced, but always interesting. And if you stay with it, it pays off in a big way. And um, no, these aren't dramas. No, these aren't works of art. Uh, they, he, he doesn't, he's not pretentious like Scorsese. I'll give him that. Both Tarantino and Scorsese are a little too pretentious. He reminds me of Sidney Pollack, who was a, you know, an underrated one of the greats, and Sidney Lumet from the 70s, who... Um, who, who always got good, really good performances and did very serious adult films, but didn't, no flash, you know, no, no hot shot special effects, no, no fancy shit going on with the titles, you know. I mean, Scorsese's really into editing, you know, he does a lot of flash, he edits some camera movements and things, and he's great at that, and he's used music great, sure. Tarantino, same thing, a lot of fancy edits, a lot of titles sliding in and out, a lot of, you know, use of songs all the time. Not a lot of that from Zoller. He's more minimalist, very basic, very much almost like a Woody Allen style making movies, um, but makes Tarantino slash Scorsese types of movies. And um, and he doesn't have a lot of talking like Tarantino or Scorsese or a lot of the 
you know, you know, like real quick, no narration like Scorsese uses, just sort of like watching people, watching scenes, not a lot of dialogue, but good, you know, clearly cares about it. Character development, lots of characters, longer movie, slower paced. But man, when the when this when things happen, you better strap yourself in because there's some very disturbing and memorable moments of violence in every one of these films. So if you do not like violence and you find it just really, really repulsive or in something like that, then you, you, you shouldn't watch his films. But then you shouldn't watch Tarantino's films either. I mean, the same thing can be said for Tarantino, right? I mean, so uh, that's I, I would compare the, the scenes of violence very much to Tarantino. Uh, I would compare the length of the movie and the fact that he takes his time to Tarantino. And that would be about it. Uh, subject matter, I, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, check him out. All three of those movies are available on Amazon Prime, free, if you have a membership. So you can watch each and every one of them free. I just did in the last two days. I watched all three of them. And um, I started with Drive to Cross Concrete, liked it enough to say, you know what? This guy's for real. This is a serious filmmaker. I'm going to watch those other two. And yesterday, I watched the other two. <laughs> Spent uh, four and a half hours watching the other two. And boy, did I like Brawl and Cell Block 99. That's my favorite of the three. But I'm, And that was the last one I saw out of the three. But they're all very good, and you should check them out. And that's my recommendation to you. So if you're looking for something to do during this shutdown, please check out S. Craig Zoller or Zoller to Friends and his three movies. And I love you. Yabba da boop